Hello, welcome to another episode of uh, Photography Chat with Merlin. Uh, this is episode five, and uh, we're gonna get uh, Philip on here with us. I send the invite out to him. I hope everyone is having a great week, and uh, you know you're enjoying things out there today. Um, it's been pretty mellow in Toronto so far. Like weather's been pretty good. Not a lot of snow. It's nice and sunny today. Um, so yeah, so far so good here. We're still in lockdown in Toronto, um, but hopefully that will um, ease up in the next little bit here. Um, so we're just waiting for Philip to get on with us and then we'll get going with the chat. What's up, JP? How you doing, man? Hello, Visions. Hey, Kyle. How y'all doing? Happy Wednesday. Oh, there we go. We got Philip in here now. Hi, Stephanie. Okay, so let's get... How you doing, Stephanie? Hello, Philip. Hi, Merlin. How are you? Great. How are you doing? Good. Good to see you. Yeah, it's fantastic to see you. It's, it's been a while. It's been a long time. Yeah. How, uh, how are things in San Clemente right now? Uh, let's see. <laughs> Last I checked, uh, improving. It's been, uh, it's been quite a year in the lab with, uh, you know, the pandemic and, uh, so many people out and, uh, it's, it's been, it's been very difficult. We started the year off, uh, uh, in, in pretty good shape. And then we, we had about the things and, uh, anyway, we're catching up again, finally. Okay. But the uh, the good news, uh, film is not dead. There's there's a lot of film. Uh, yeah, I was kind of curious to ask you about that with um, with, with COVID and everything. Um, did you see like a sort of a rise in like the demand of, of people wanting developing or? Overall, we have. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, uh, as you might imagine, it makes sense. We've, gotten a lot of what we call found film. Okay. People are finding film that's been hidden away in closets or drawers or attics or basements or whatever, uh, boxes of film, you know, maybe, and old single use cameras, uh, boxes of them. So there's still a lot of old film out there. And, you know, some of the stuff is 20, 30 years old easily. Uh, so that's been an interesting part. And also just, you know, we, at the dark room, we really cater to, and, uh, film enthusiasts. Uh, and that segment has been very strong. Just, uh, not only a lot of enthusiasm toward, for film, but growing, uh, 
and it doesn't, it, it seems to be uh, continued, uh, not only among the people that have been using film, but new people coming to film. We see a lot of notes and a lot of from customers uh, saying things like, don't judge me, my first role. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we, I think too, over the holidays, a lot of people, uh, Got, maybe got film cameras for Christmas. You know, everybody talks about how uh, expensive film cameras have gotten. And they have risen over the years uh, substantially. Uh, you could have gotten, you know, this Canon QL17 for about a hundred bucks a few years back. Oh, they're going and, for like hundreds now. Oh yeah, they're. I, I, I'm sure they're at least a couple hundred bucks, two to three hundred bucks for you know a good a good clean one. Uh, still, in the scheme of things, uh, it's a pre, it's a good value. I mean, here's something that was when were they made in the seventies? I imagine. Yeah. Uh, so you know that camera, you know, is sixty years old, fifty years old. Uh, I, I just it's still think... still ticking. In fact, the the age brings uh, something to them. Uh, yeah, like when when the glass starts to like age and stuff, you get like a different sort of look to it. And um, yeah, like it's I just picked this guy up this week. It's an old Polaroid one ninety five, uh -huh. and um, this thing has been just fantastic to play with. Um, I still have a little that's bit. Your, of that's your that's your new pocket camera, right? Yeah, this is my new pocket camera. Yeah, because <laughs> my my regular daily driver is uh, this guy. I, I shoot uh, a Nikon F five is like my my everyday camera. Uh huh. Um, which you know it's it's I was talking to some people on Clubhouse about this the other night where it's like I bought this like four years ago for about two hundred and thirty dollars. And now I'm seeing them going for like five, six hundred, eight hundred dollars. Like, it's just crazy. You feel like a real press photographer out there, right? That's what I use. I have an EOS 1V, uh, Canon EOS 1V with, you know, a number of the Canon lenses. And uh, that is a lot of fun to take out and use. But boy, I go, I roll, I go through the film fast. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I always have to make sure that I have it in single um, shutter mode because right, not continuous. Times, yeah, <laughs> I forgot it in continuous. Four frames a second. Well, I was showing it to a friend before I put some film in it, like what continuous sounded like, and then I forgot to switch it back after I put some film in, and I went to take a shot and took like eight, and it's like, oh, man. so it's it's a rare accident, but it's it's one I try to avoid. Um, but I just want to say quick, like, uh, maybe if you want to take a minute just to do a quick introduction, because I think a few of the people in, in the crowd are familiar with you, but, you know, for the people that aren't, um, maybe just like a, a quick rundown on, uh, you know, Philip in the Darkroom. Great. I'm uh, Phil Stebley from the Darkroom Lab in San Clemente, California, a uh, long way from Toronto. Yeah. Uh, you know, doesn't get much further, I suppose. Uh, so... The dark room. We we've been around since 1978. The dark room uh, hopped around a little bit, moved a couple times, and uh, settled into San Clemente. Uh, you know, over the last 20 years or so, uh, it's continuously evolving. Uh, 
we just finished a uh, pretty major for us uh, remodel and reconfiguration of our uh, dip and dump processing equipment. Uh, we moved all three lines of processing, E6, C41, and uh, black and white to the opposite side of the building that we're in. So we built it out from scratch with all separate dark rooms and chem mix for each, uh, each process. So uh, it was 19 months to get this done at some interruptions due to COVID and all of that uh, through last year, but it's finally complete. And uh, our reframas are all, uh, we've increased our, uh, uh, our capabilities in terms of uh, throughput, uh, higher capacity equipment, and a much better uh, physical environment, uh, more space and accommodation for proper handling of film and keeping things well organized. Okay. So that's that's been the big recent change. Uh, we evolved from being in the 70s a walk-in pro lab uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area to uh, we evolved into a wholesale lab for camera stores. And we did camera store uh, work throughout the Bay Area, San Francisco, Oakland, uh, as well as throughout Southern California. So all of California, actually Nevada and uh, some into Oregon and Washington as well. So that was really our main business was doing work for camera stores. And we had done a little bit of mail order work uh, and we continued to hone that. And then uh, by the, you know, oh, 2008, you know, Everything hit the fans, the whole economy tanked. Uh, digital had, uh, had work filmed down to, you know, just the bare bones, maybe, you know, one twentieth of what film had been in terms wow. of number of roles sold. So digital, you know, had started taking over right after, you know, Y2K, year 2000. But by 2008, it was, uh, you know, it pretty well taken over the majority of uh, picture taking, you know, photography. Of course, that's a little bit, you know, before the iPhone and everything being done on, you know, on an iPhone. But uh, yeah, we, we hung in there and, you know, through that period, of course, many, many camera stores closed. Uh, we used to service literally a couple hundred camera stores. And we still do some work for camera stores uh, in the West, but you know, maybe a couple dozen out of uh, 200 that had previously uh, existed. So that landscape changed along with the, the lab landscape. Uh, most labs closed because there just wasn't enough business to support and make the gears turn. Uh, yeah. you can't really be in the lab business as a hobby. It's, uh, it's a very poor hobby. <laughs> you can do your own film in the bathroom or you can have a little lab or something as a hobby, but to, uh, 
try to take the business as a hobby. Uh, it's, it's, it, it'll take the fun out of your old hobby. <laughs> but uh, anyway, as labs closed, we came to realize that the accessibility for good quality, uh, good value, consistent, steady film developing by people that have the right equipment and know what they're doing and do this every day, uh, that was very limited. And the internet, of course, has brought the reach and the availability of, of customers. But, uh, you know, it's the mail system and the handling and then the, uh, the delivery via, you know, the internet. Uh, we've developed over the years uh, a lot of proprietary systems within the darkroom for uh, cropping your images, ordering prints or other services from your, your uh, scanned images, uh, the different types of scans that are available. Uh, so it really, we went from maybe being 10% uh, mail-in and 90% uh, wholesale to now we're 90% mail-in and maybe 10% wholesale to camera stores. So uh, over, that's probably, you know, over a six, seven year period that that transition's taken place. Uh, but it's, it's worked out well, I think for us and a lot of our customers, we have a, you know, we have a lot of customers been with us a long time. They're accustomed to the you know, the cycle and the service, they know what to expect, uh, how the whole system works. Uh, we also have our, uh, a subscription store, uh, service for, uh, storing your albums, you know, all of your images and that, which is, uh, pretty cool. Uh, so yeah, I mean, we, we, Five years ago, we really started working on our uh, social media platforms. Okay. Uh, primarily Instagram and some YouTube as well, with our mission being to, you know, have fun, educate, talk about different films, different cameras, you know, not a sales pitch for the darkroom, but just talking about this stuff because at the time, nobody was. You know, there were a few folks out there, uh, but not, not much. So it's nice to see over the last few years in particular, uh, the YouTubers, uh, Willem and uh, Matt Day and, you know, all of that, Joe Greer, you know, uh, uh, Jason, you know, all these guys that are doing wonderful things and educating and sharing the joy and the fun of shooting film and film cameras. Uh, you know, it's, we used to, to me, you know, 10 years ago, you used to have to explain, you know, why film. Yeah. And anymore, it seems kind of silly, you know, it's a, uh, uh, you know, it's a very tactical thing. It's a very uh, pers personal thing. It, it's one of the few things, one of the few old school hobbies that really remain, you know, they used to be stamp collecting, coin collecting, trains. Trains were a big deal back in the day, right? 
Yeah, my, my Slot cars, did. you know, these were hobbies. They used to have hobby shops in every town. There's no hobby shops anymore. My, uh, my father used to collect coins and do the stamp thing. So I was, I was all around um, that, that kind of stuff back in the day. And like, you know, going to like the, the big stamp shows and the coin uh -huh. shows and like. Well, it is fun though. Yeah. You know, because there's a, there's a steadiness to it. There's a consistency. There's uh uh, I don't know, culturally, it kind of keeps you intact. Everything else goes in all these directions, you know. We weren't, mm -hmm. we weren't doing this kind of thing five, ten years ago. We didn't even think of it ten years ago, right? Yeah. So, you know, all of these things are evolving, and while they're good, it's nice to have those threads of, of things that, that are kind of steady in life, you know. It's like grandma and grandpa. Uh, well, it's nice because like I, I find like for for me it's it's connecting to something different like it, it like using this old polaroid camera that's like from like the 60s 70s like it's wild to think that like this thing has been around far longer than me and i can interact with it now and i can work with it to create things and it still works just as well as it did you know, 40, 50 years ago when it was like first created. It blows my mind to think about that thing. And I, I wonder this a lot with, with the cameras that I have under my care is like, what did they see before I got them? Like, where have they been? Um, what event, like, what have they been party to in, in their existence? Like, have they lived in a drawer their whole life? Or did they go out, have they been around the world a couple of times? Like there was a, a Mamiya press cam that I bought with a bunch of pack film. And the guy that I bought it from was from Australia. And he's like, as far as I know, I'm not sure what happened with the history before me, but he's like, with me, it's been around the world three times. And this uh, focusing screen on the back here, I bought at a camera market in Japan. And like this lens I, I picked up in like this other country here. And it was kind of cool to like hear the history of like, what happened with that camera while he had it and I think that thing was like from 1965 originally so it's just like where has it been like you know he picked it up in Australia it's been all over the place like yeah well I mean think about it a little what other item is there what other personal item could you say that about perhaps a timepiece perhaps a watch yeah but that is just being carried with you I mean well it's different I don't know uh I you know, it might be blasphemy to a watch collector. I don't collect watches, but, and I don't really collect cameras, but I do seem to gather an awful lot of them. And I was born into the business my father had left uh, out of World War II. Uh, you know, he had, he was an aerial photographer in World War II. Oh, wow. And he asked his uh, commanding officer, you know, like anybody else getting out of the war in the mid 40s uh you know what should i do you know and everybody was starting their own businesses and uh, this commanding officer says start a photo lab everybody's gonna be going back having babies and everybody's gonna start buying cameras and taking pictures and really world war ii was the 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 start the baby boom and also the start of mass consumer photography before that it was popular but only among the very affluent and just a small 
you know, a portion of people. But mm -hmm. after World War II, it boomed. And of course, Kodak, through their ads, made it simple, made it famous. They came out with cartridge cameras, the 126 dropping cartridge camera. I mean, how easy was that? And it's still, actually, the 126 is a great negative, you know? Yeah. Uh, a square format, a, a good size. Uh, some of the lenses, you know, in the later 126 cameras, the Ektar lenses in that weren't bad either. But, but, you know, that was really, that was really the beginnings of, you know, as the families grew and Levittown, a suburb started to develop, people started taking pictures and movies like crazy. So your dad used to process uh, movie film too then, like the 16 millimeter. Yes. Nope. Oh yeah, lots of movie film, movie film, slides, Kodachrome, lots of Kodachrome, 35 millimeter. Your dad thousands. ran a Kodachrome lab? Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Dang. Because, like, that, that stuff was all, like, owned by Kodak and leased out, right? Because, like, Kodak retained, like, the equipment. No, actually, back in the, I believe, the early 60s, there was a consent decree against Kodak. Oh. Making them give up their patents to C41 process, basically. Okay. They had developed color negative C41 processing and they own the patent and the control on that. And the only way you could get color processing back in the early 60s, late 50s was by sending it to Kodak. Yeah. But there was an antitrust case against Kodak because they had, they had a monopoly on the film and film developing market, you know, integrated from from top to bottom, they had a monopoly. And uh, through that, that monopoly was partially, you know, broken up to allow other labs to access the chemistry and so forth, the technology to do what became, you know, the standard film for 50 years. C41, color negative film. Actually, it started out C22 yeah, uh, and then transitioned to C41. I, I've got a friend, he still messes around with all those old films. So he's got this like, I don't know if it's because maybe he's like a sadist or something like that, but he finds all these like really ancient films and then makes his own processes for it and stuff so it's like he shot a bunch of e4 recently and like he created his own like concoction to process it um he shot some old kodak black and white that expired in like the 50s and he was still able to get some images off of it and well uh, you know it, it's if you have the time if you have the inclination uh that's the beauty of that's the beauty of film frankly right yeah I mean, I wouldn't think of spending a moment on E4. Well, number one, slide film doesn't hold up very yes, friend Time is not slide film's friend. Really? No. So slide film deteriorates very quickly. Okay. So E6 and E4, uh, 10 years old, uh, you're not going to get the kind of results you can get. Uh, black and white. 20, 30, 40, 50 years old, you can actually get great results on, depending on how it was stored. But 
C41, uh, 20, 30 years old, in a lot of cases, no problem. But that's not, that's not true with E6 at all. It's very unforgiving. Same with the exposure latitude, right? Yeah, it's you a know, lot more frustrating. slide film, you gotta be right on with your exposure. It is not, you know, it's not a forgiving, forgiving film. No. And then same with some of the pro films, uh, they don't have the, the longevity and the, and the stability of a lot of consumer film. Kodak Gold 200 is going to hold up much better over time than Portrait 400H, Fuji 400H. So when you say hold up over time, is, are you saying like before it's shot, like it'll like you could keep it and like hang right. on to it, or like uh -huh. after it's been processed? Um, no, before it's shot. After it's okay. processed, it's all the same. Once it's okay. processed, it's processed. Okay. Uh, and it's forever, we think. You know, check back with me in 150 years. Well, it, it is interesting, some of that stuff. So it's like one of my favorite films that I absolutely love to death, and I, I've got a small hoard of it because I just fell for it so hard, is uh, Agfacom RS-1000. Uh -huh. um, and I've got a bunch of it that expired around like 1991 to like 1995 and it still shoots magnificently like i'm not sure how it's kept before i've got it but like i keep it in the fridge now all the time and every role i've shot of it so far has been like you know rock solid and, and nothing weird about it um but then there's other expired films i've shot where it's like you know it's a real crapshoot like you, you get all sorts of like weird uh, artifacts and stuff in there the colors are all like messed up or it's just like super grainy and, and weird like it's it's kind of interesting with film that way because it's like it's an organic thing like it's it's from an or like a living substance at one point yeah exactly yeah and typically uh kodak and fuji slide films uh you know they'll just start to fade they'll become very very light uh, okay looking extremely overexposed uh depending on the time and the amount of heat that they were exposed Huh. That's interesting. I didn't know that about it. Uh, Stephanie made a comment here that um, she carried a box of film around for at least 10 years because she had no idea where to get it developed. Those were dark times. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Sergio had a question here. Um, hey, how is the dark room going? Well, I mean, like we mentioned earlier, it, you know, it's been, uh, it's been a tough 11 months uh, with, with COVID and we had to really scramble in the lab. We run, you've seen the lab, Merlin. Uh, is it all were, different now? Like, well, it, it is a bit, it's expanded, but still uh, we, we were accustomed to working in a small workspace mm. uh, and uh, a tight, I, I, I likened it to being on a submarine, you know. I mean, yeah, everything right. had its place. Everything had to be organized. Everything was close by. And then COVID came and it's like, oh, we can't have all these people on top of each other anymore. It was like uh, very, very difficult. So we had to scramble. We, we operate now three shifts around okay. the clock so that we can spread people out which is a big sacrifice to somebody working, uh, say, third shift. They come in at 9 o'clock at night, work till 6 in the morning. 
5.30 in the morning. Uh, we work weekends. We work Saturday, Sunday. We work Memorial Day. We work 4th of July. We work Labor Day. <laughs> we work Thanksgiving Day. Wow. I mean, that's how intense it's been in terms of the amount of work and the people that we've been juggling to be able to accommodate everything. Uh, so it's, uh, I, I think we're on a much better track now. Things have started to stabilize, although, you know, through January we had a lot of, a lot of illness, a lot of people out sick. People still get sick even with COVID. And then they think it's COVID, so they want to wait a couple of days to get tested. Yeah. And they find out it isn't COVID. So somebody that would have been out a day or two is out a week. Yeah. Uh, and then we have had situations where, where people have, have, have actually had COVID. Not that they caught in the lab that we could pinpoint, but whatever, you know. Uh, so it's, it's been, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, scrambling around, but uh, I feel good going, you know, going into the later part of winter here and as we move into spring, early summer, uh, you know, that's summer is the busiest time, you know, in the lab. So we have some time to build and ramp up, which, uh, which we're doing now, a lot of cross training. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was the, the COVID situation has just been um, such an unfortunate thing on like so many different levels, and it's affected. Well, it's hit us. It, it has affected us in ways that have just really compounded the difficulty of every day running a lab. Yeah, I mean it's it's relentless. It's every day. I mean, people, you know, you, you got to be there. You got to be doing it every day. You can't just say, let's take the next couple days off. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. Uh, so it is not only relentless, but then we've had external things happen over the last 11 months. In fact, happening right now today. Uh, we're back ordered on Kodak paper. Oh, wow. Kodak six inch glossy paper, which is the most common size that we use. We're back ordered for two and a half weeks. We're down to like 18 rolls. I mean, it's, and, and this is like the third or fourth episode. Part of it was due to COVID shutdown in their factory in uh, Colorado. Oh, wow. Where they pack and ship everything, all the paper, right? And then Kodak Alaris sold the business to Sino Partners or some crazy thing, the Chinese company. So now through that changeover, there's a hiatus. They're not shipping anything over the next two weeks. So, I mean, we're just, we're, we're totally, we're totally stuck without paper running out. And we're going to, we're going to literally run out of paper. Fuji, same thing with chemistry. Um, we use a lot of Fuji chemistry and uh, outages constantly. And then through the, in the middle of COVID, they changed their packaging and they changed their mixes. They changed the way the package looks. 
They changed the size of the packages. They changed the SKU numbers of the packages. And we use, we use C41 chemistry, E6, chem, you know, we use a lot of different chemicals. So all of a sudden, without notice, we start getting these random boxes of chemistry that are numbers that, we, that don't relate to what we have and mixes that are of a different size. So those are just two examples of vendor-related issues that play into the whole COVID mess as well. Not to mention shipping delays and issues uh, for certain supplies and products uh, that we simply haven't been able to get and had to work around. Yeah, because I know like the Postal Service has been having a lot of issues, you know, the, through COVID and through the you know, previous administration and stuff. And that that's crazy about the chemical stuff. Cause I, I remember when, uh, during the 2019 Bidea, uh, the, the tour there was just like, you know, that place, you're, you're, the lab is mind blowing. And when you were showing us the dip dunk machines that you've got there, like, um, I, I could understand that would probably be problematic. Cause like you guys have like a certain formula, like you're used to that, um, you know, what you were getting shipped previously. So now getting something different, like that's probably really throwing a wrench in the works for you guys. Well, just be because of the intense scramble people-wise and scrambling, you know, we, we lost a lot of people uh, through COVID. Some people moved. We had a really great example that previously from Maryland he moved back to be with his family. Uh, we had over 10 people that had one, one gal, great employee. She quit work to take care of her parents who, mm. who had underlying conditions. You know, they just, everybody has a story, right? Everybody yeah. has a situation. So, uh, you know, that, that added on top of all the other challenges is just, uh, is is what is what makes it so difficult but like i say i think you know we've uh what, what's the old saying what doesn't kill you makes you stronger right yeah and exactly. you know we we made remarkable progress in the last year when we look back considering you know all this crap that's gone down uh but where we've gone and, and what we've done and accomplished in the lab and how we're set now uh i think we have a lot to be lot to be proud of and they will pay off as we go into the future now because you know i film i think film is going to stay very popular uh and it's a big part of it we haven't talked about much is this what we're doing it's called community yeah and it's probably the most fun part of film is being able to share it with like-minded people uh, that could be, I don't know, 3,000 miles apart, we must be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, uh, and not see each other for, it's been a couple years, you know. Yeah. So, but it, it, it keeps us tied together. It keeps us interested in, in something common. Uh, again, it's that hobby aspect of, you know, film photography that, uh, really makes it so much fun.
Well, and, and on that community point, like that, that's a great, uh, great thing to bring up. So it's like, you know, that's how I met you. And, you know, we've come to talk tonight is, um, so in 2019, um, I flew down to San Clemente to partake in the film Padea that you guys had been putting on for a couple of years at that point, um, which uh, was an amazing event. Like I, I came across it um, just randomly on Instagram. <clears throat> and at the time, uh, the partner that I was uh, seeing, we would travel to do photography events every month. And so we decided, you know, for uh, that month, we were going to go to San Clemente for the, the film Padea. And it was just so cool to like see the community down there, um, run into a couple of Canadians as well. So like uh, Karen is, is on here. Uh, I met her there and her father. Barry. Uh, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Take. Uh, right. It, it was cool to run into him. I actually, I have the photo. Um, these, these were photos from the Padilla. Um, so this was team Canada. So that was oh, all yeah. the Canadians <laughs> there. That was uh, Take and uh, Karen and, and her dad. And then uh, this is at the pizza joint um, with uh, with Grant. Right. Uh huh. <laughs> and Grant was hilarious. Like you know, it, it the Padilla and the community in general. Like the film community is so amazing. So a, a bunch of the guests I've had so far are people that I met through the Padilla. Um, or connections uh, that I met at the Padilla, like Stephanie uh, was another person that I, I'd met down there, and uh, she's on tonight too, and she's going to be a guest uh, next week, uh -huh. uh, which will be kind of exciting. And like the the film community has just been something that never ceases to amaze me, and that was one of the things that I was really sort of bummed out about with with COVID was. Um, sort of losing the physical connection to that community because um, I had already been doing some travel for like other stuff. So like the Instant Film Society out in Denton, Texas, been down for a couple Policons there to Texas. And the very last trip I took before the world ended with COVID and everything was the Bay Area Policon that they did um, at, at the start of 2020. Um, I was kind of curious, like, you know, you guys couldn't do the Padilla last year for obvious reasons. Um, have you guys considered maybe doing like a, a virtual version this year? Because like the Instant Film Society tried doing a virtual Policon um, last year and it actually went fairly well. Like we ran it on Zoom chats and things like that. And, um, you know, it it wasn't quite the same as being able to go and like, you know, sit and have a beer with the people and like you know, not, yeah. have that, but it was still nice to be able to connect to people and then meet some new faces as well too, because um, there was a lot of people that always wanted to attend a Policon event, but couldn't make it to Texas. And now because it was a virtual event, it just, it opened up the whole world to be able to come in. And there was a lot of people that had heard of it and always wanted to attend that all of a sudden could. Um, so it was kind of interesting that like, that was like a positive that came out of a negative. You know, we, I, we had talked about that last spring, we hit a lull and we were like, okay, you know, it, it was like, everything was scrambled right after, uh, last year, what was it? March 13th. Yeah. Friday, the 13th of March. I'll never forget. That's when the shit hit the fan at the dark room. That's when... We, looked, we talked to everybody. We had a group meeting outside, and everybody's eyes were blank. They didn't know what to think. 
everybody was scared. People wanted to go home. You know, it was like the world was ending, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's just been such a crazy uh, process of climbing back, you know, out of that and going through all these other other things. We we've had a couple of false starts trying to plan events. We wanted to plan. We were working with uh, KEH in Atlanta, KEH Camera. Yeah. Uh, great friends and great, great people, great business. Uh, we were going to do a Pidea jointly down in Atlanta last April. And we had, we were well on the way of planning it. We had dates selected and everything else. And then this COVID thing started creeping in in January and we kept talking about it and say, well, let's just keep, you know, let's just keep planning. We don't know how this is going to play out. We'll just keep, you know, working toward that, but we won't make any announcements. And, you know, sure enough, as each week progressed, it got worse and worse. So we, uh, we, we disbanded our plans for doing that in Atlanta in conjunction with KEH. And then we had hoped, okay, well then we have to scrap that Then maybe in the fall, uh, we'll do one again at the dark room. We'll do one in San Clemente. Uh, you know, the weather's great and you know, it just, it, it works out well. And then obviously as time kept going on, like that's not gonna happen either. You know, we can't, we can't plan on that, lock in a venue and you know, work toward those dates, which yeah. obviously the fall, this fall would have been too soon. So now we're playing again. We're talking with KEH and we're kind of scheming. Maybe we could do something in New York in April. Well, April's coming up pretty fast and April's probably, you know, again, that it may be just too ambitious. So, you know, this is a long story, Merlin, but... <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully the fall of 2021, we're going to have a really nice idea. And what, what our, our intention, our, our plan and hope is to, once we get through all this, is to do a couple or three a year in different locales. Uh, do one back east, do one in the south, do one in the west, you know, uh, move them around a little bit. Uh, and bring the film community together and open up more opportunities for, uh, you know, film photographers to come that can't travel across the country or a long ways to be able to make it to one of the events. Uh, well, if you ever want to do one in Canada, I'd be happy to help with that. That'd be a lot of fun. Um, no, like if, if COVID does continue to sort of... Um, balloon out into something unmanageable have you guys like entertained or thought about an idea of like doing a virtual event or you just you want to be able to just do it when when you, you know we we had talked about it and picked it up but frankly we've been so scrambled and so busy it's just hard to focus on on doing that and, and you know how how that would how that would look it takes it takes some resources to do that. Yeah. Uh, and 
I don't know. I, I, I certainly wouldn't rule it out. And, and some of that, too, should be incorporated into a life idea. Yeah. To be able to allow people that can't make it to the venue to be able to participate remotely. So, uh, yeah, we, we've, we've got to study that and look at that and find, uh, find a partner or somebody that, you know, has the know-how and the wherewithal to, uh, to kind of kickstart that. Well, you can probably definitely lean on on Juan and, and Take. I know they've been really adapting, um, you know, to the the new world here. Yeah, I guess that's the same <clears throat> story of uh, if you want to get something done, ask a busy person to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't imagine other than myself. I don't know anybody busier than Juan. <laughs> oh yeah, the, he slammed all the time. I'm hoping to get him on sometime soon, and then uh, Take is going to join me in a couple of weeks as well. So looking Great. forward to having him on there. Um, Stephanie says that uh, she'll travel to wherever it may be. Um, and then we've got a question here from Barb. What is the paideia? The paideia is a, a gathering of film photography heads, basically. Uh, it's a, paideia is a Greek term of, about a, a school for bringing thought together and sharing common interests broadly. Uh, it means a lot more than that, but we we thought that was appropriate for naming, you know, our film photography paideia to just bring different people uh, with a love of film, film cameras, film photography together uh, to talk about and share all aspects of it. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's really the, the genesis of the, the film photography paideia uh, is to, uh, to, bring, to bring folks together, you know, on a common, common interest of uh, film cameras. So yes. this, uh, this FM3A is a recent camera that I got in the last six months. You know, I've been doing this all my life, you know, a long time. And I still, this is a new camera to me. I, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't shot this camera. I hadn't really known about it that much, you know. Shutter speed of one four thousandth, you know, either uh, automatic or manual, shutter priority, aperture priority. Uh, it's so fun to use, you know, and, and that's, that's the beauty of film photography. Uh, uh, just constantly discovering, and then the discovery of uh, films to use it in. Here's uh, Wolfman. I don't know if you heard of that from FPP. Oh yeah, film photography project. Actually, it's a fun film. It's a low ISO. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, what's well, not that, to that love? Was that was wild too at, at the at the paideia like getting to meet rasso and, and all the guys because like i'd watch their youtube videos and like you know i was like whoa that's actually get to like meet these dudes in person and like that was that was a trip and then uh you know meeting megan megan was fantastic I, she i had her on last year to talk about like her work and stuff and it was uh -huh. cool to just like see some different photographers i'd never uh come come across before um there and uh, well with different different niches too different 
different aspects and uh you know like you you mentioned megan uh her her water photography her water film photographer her nikonos what she used nikonos four or three i can't remember uh she uses the three i think because uh, yeah a very specific one not the five yeah. you know but that that particular one but it's just it's got a such a dreamy uh dreamy look to it i mean it takes yeah. you into the water right it's uh it's so evocative and i don't you know i don't know perhaps perhaps there are digital photographers that create you know, comparable types of work, and I'm sure, I'm sure there are, but there's just something beautiful about the process, and, uh, uh, you know, she's out there, out there in the water, loaded, you know, it's a lot of trouble, right? A lot of cold, it's wet. <laughs> yeah, which <laughs> then is... Then you got this film camera to mess around. I don't know if you've ever shot a Nikonos, especially in the water. It's... It's it's not a simple thing. No, they're very cumbersome looking. Yeah, they are. They are. They're hard to wind. You know, just the whole the whole the whole process. But uh, you know, that's that's the beauty of it. She's honed that skill to be very special and almost to the point where when you look at when you look at one of her images without knowing who it's from, you know it's Megan. Yeah, absolutely. That to me is a mark of a photographer where you can almost instantly recognize somebody's work. They're great. There's lots of great picture takers, but there aren't many to me, you know, in my, to my eye, great photographers. I like that. Like that does make a lot of sense. I, I, I was on a, a chat on Clubhouse um, recently. I don't know if you had a chance to play with that. It's been kind of an interesting like voice only thing. And I see Take on there sometimes and stuff too. Um, but it, there was like this one chat that they had going on called Film 101 where people were talking about like, I'm just getting into film and questions. And a comment that was made was there, there's this idea that like digital is easier because you can see it right away and like you can you know, know if it's garbage or not or whatever. But one of the people made a point where it's like, I think that's that's wrong. Like digital isn't necessarily easier because film, like once you understand it, it's not that very difficult to understand um, is much easier because like after you've taken the photos, as long as you got your exposure and focus right, um, you don't really have to do much past that. Like, you know, you can just get your dev and scan or prints and then then you're done. You don't have to dump it on your computer and go into Photoshop and like, you know, edit everything, make sure that you got your, your levels right. And you know, the, the white balance all correct and stuff. And um, I thought that was an interesting point because like, that's one of the big reasons why I like shooting film is cause um, I hate editing so much. <laughs> I don't like sitting in front of the computer screen and trying to like sift through all these photos. Like I do have a nice digital camera and the few times that I do use it, I find I immediately get lazy and I take like 400 shots or whatever. And then now I have to go sit here and sift through it and be like, okay, I hate like 60% of these. So I got to dump those ones. And now I have to edit the ones that are remaining. Whereas like when I'm shooting film, I throw it in and I have 24, 36 exposures and that's it. And however many rolls I brought with me. So it's like, you know, maybe I'll shoot three or four rolls when I'm doing a shoot and 
as long as I didn't screw them up, I'm going to be happy with like how they come out because I like the way the lab that I use here in Toronto does my scans and processing and everything. And like, you know, it's, I don't have to do anything with it once, once it's done, which is uh, nice when you find a good lab that you can trust. Um, which is, well, know. digital, you know, I have an analogy. I'm, you know, it's a little oversimplified maybe, but to, to me, shitty digital is compared to like Christmas presents. To me, digital, because because the tendency is to look at it immediately, you've kind of let the air out of the the pleasure of that image. Mm -hmm. You've seen it. So when you go back to see it again, that visualization is diluted, sort of. And I, I use the analogy, it's like wrap, it would be like, to me, digital is like wrapping Christmas presents in saran wrap. <laughs> where you can already see what's in there, but you're waiting for Christmas. You know? I mean, it just doesn't have, it's not as fun to me. And I have film, I bet I have 15 to 20 rolls of film sitting on my desk right now, going back to October, uh, up to the last week of rolls of film, 120, 35, E6, black and white, you name it, the whole rainbow, everything just sitting there waiting to process. And part of it is I just haven't gotten around to doing it. And part of it is too, I like to give some space between shooting it and then getting the results. Uh, in fact, it seems sometimes the longer the space, the more pleasure I get out of seeing those images that, uh, anyway, it's just, everybody has their own you know, their own process, their own way of doing it. And, and nobody's right, nobody's wrong. Uh, and that's the beauty of it. You can use it however you want. And I'm sure you could if you wanted. I mean, Leica makes a digital camera without a, without a viewer, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, they're, you know, I mean, <laughs> to me, that seems silly. But, you know, it's kind of bringing the film aspect to the digital camera, which is the, you know, the guessing of what you got instead of obsessing over, you know, constantly looking at the back of the freaking camera. Uh, and then with digital, I'm probably not like other people, uh, you know, six, eight, eight shots of the same exact thing. And then you say, how yeah. do you edit that? You know, like, oh, well, this one's got that, oh, that little branch of tree, you know, Oh my God! <laughs> it's like one only, and done. Like, yeah, exactly, one and done. So I'm I'm kind of the opposite with film for the most part. Like as soon as I shoot it, I want I'm I'm like on my way to the lab to drop it off. Um, but that being said, I do have two rolls of Agfa Scala Reversal that have been sitting in my film fridge for like almost two years now. To the point, I can't even remember what the hell I've shot on them, but um, Jason Lee recommended trying this film and then sending it to DR5 to get it processed because, like, he has a this magical process that makes the Scala sing, and um, I just have not gotten around to sending him down to uh, to him or like when I'm ready to send it, he's not doing a run yet, so it's like I'm waiting for the next run. Yeah, I think I 
think you might check. I think he's doing one now. So you better do it now or next year. <laughs> I think it's going to end up being next year because um, I, I think I just missed it. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious because, like, it'll probably be, like, two or three years before I actually see the pictures from those rolls that, that I shot. And so I'm kind of like, I can't even recall what is on them now at this point, like where I even was when I shot them or what camera I used. I, I you know, it's been so long. I can't remember any of that now. It's, it's kind of a magical thing. And I also really kind of dig like when, uh, when we were allowed to go out and, and shop a little more freely, um, searching for old cameras at like, you know, thrift stores and stuff like that. I loved finding ones that still had film in them. Um, Cause you know, if there was still a few shots left, I finished the roll off and drop it off. Or if like, you know, if it was like already done, I drop it off. And it was always kind of interesting to like see um, those, those people's pictures. Yeah. I think that, I think anymore thrift store uh, searching for cameras is probably kind of futile. Yeah, I, I think there are a lot of people out there aware and, and, and checking it. And of course, eBay makes it easy for anybody to check. You, you know, you can look at the model of camera and plug it in there and get an idea if it's, if it's worth anything. Uh, but it's still fun, treasure, treasure hunts. And uh, sometimes if I go on a road trip, uh, like I recently went to Southwest Colorado, you know, there's some cool little thrift stores there and that where they got old brownies and box cameras every once in a while i'll find something to pick up it's a lot of fun yeah i like messing with like point and shoots every now and then so it's like i've, I've picked up a couple of neat point and shoots and i usually end up just uh giving them away to to people like after i should roll through them and um but you're right like i have noticed um you know even pre-covid it was getting harder to like track things down and I think part of that is um there's a lot more interest in in film now and like you know there's all these young creators that are making like YouTube content and Instagram content and getting you know people all excited about um you know shooting film so that's the definitely driving up the interest in in all this which I feel is like a good and and kind of bad thing because like yeah, I'm not excited that I have to pay more for things that were a lot cheaper a couple of years ago, but it's also exciting that like, you know, people are funneling money into this industry so that hopefully Kodak will continue to produce things. Lomography will continue to produce things. FPP will still be able to do their thing. The Cinestill uh, gents can still do their thing. And um, it's, it's cool to see that kind of growth that's been going on. No, it is, it is fun to see people, uh, new or come to film that you know hadn't previously been film shooters uh of course up to mostly young people right yeah lots of young people i i live here in san Clemente near the pier and uh about a month ago i was walking my dog back from the pier to the house and uh i saw a couple kids and i noticed right away they had film cameras and then I realized there were about eight or 10 of these kids, I call them kids, you know, young people, <laughs> all with film cameras. So I stopped and said, hey, what are you shooting, you know? And, uh, and they started talking to me a little bit. And 
I introduced myself. I said, I'm from the dark room. And they were like, you're from the dark room? Oh, man. So, I mean, it was really cool. They had just met on uh, Instagram. And it was a little informal beat-up. They decided to meet down at the pier at San Clemente and walk around and take photos. So, you know, it was cool to see. Uh, you know, they're, they were probably, you know, between 18 and 22 years old. Uh, from, you know, 120 cameras to 35-point shoots, you know, whatever it happened to be. Just... Uh, picking up, meeting up together, you know, people that hadn't met before maybe, and uh, walking around, sharing an interest in, in film. So, you know, that's a really cool thing. There aren't, in my mind, I, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, there aren't a lot of things that bring diverse people together like that uh, to where, you know, I'm three times three times the age of these kids and there's no age barrier there. We're just talking cameras and film, right? Yeah. You know, it's, uh, there's that, there's such a commonality to that interest uh, and the desire to learn and share with other people that uh, it breaks down, it breaks down barriers. I mean, well, with the old, the old, uh, I think it was a Kodak uh, saying for a good long while, photography, the international language or something like that. Okay, I like that. So, I mean, traveling, I've traveled a lot over the years and b with a camera, being able to start a conversation, ask to take somebody's picture. Uh, it's a great way to start a conversation. It's a great way to show and interest in others and other cultures. Uh, you know, sometimes people may not want their photo taken and that's okay, but you know, from, from my experience, it's a, it's a real door opener to communicating with others. Absolutely, like that's one of the things I think I like the most about instant photography is, is that aspect of things. So um, I like to give away a lot of photos with, with the instant stuff. like. The majority of uh, photos I shoot on instant, I end up just giving to the people that that I come across and meet because uh, maybe I'll be walking around with like one of my Polaroids or something and someone will make a comment and be like, well, it was in Calgary. We did it this road trip across Canada. I was helping um, my best friend Kat move um, to Vancouver and um, I was picking up some food at this takeout joint and this lady was like, um, hey, um, is that a Polaroid? Because I had an SLR 680 around my neck, and she's like, I haven't seen one of those, like, since I was a kid, like, whoa, and I was like, um, do you, do you want a picture? She's like, no, like, that, that'd be a, a waste, and I'm like, no, like, you, you get to keep one, like, that's, like, it, this is for you, like, this isn't a picture for me, this is, like, do you, and she's like, really, you want to, you want to give me a, a photo? And I was like, yeah, of course, she's like, oh, well, I, I'm all disheveled from, and like, I mean, it's up to you. And she's like, oh, okay, okay. And then she got all ex excited about it. She's like, should I take my mask off? Should I, should I leave it on? I'm like, this is a photo for you. So however you want it to be. She's like, okay, I'll take my mask off. She's like, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> like, she's all excited. And I gave her the Polaroid and she was just like, so jazzed about it. It just, I, and she's like, thank you. Like I had a really shitty day. And like, you know, this is just. What a, sim a, what a simple thing, right? Yeah. What a simple, what a simple little gesture. Absolutely. And the, uh, Tiffany made a comment here and she's a, a friend from Toronto here. 
I met her because we had a Polaroid gang at a coffee shop called Denine's and uh, she had sort of made a comment and almost everyone at the table ended up giving her a Polaroid and then uh, Tiffany and I stayed in touch and I uh, got her into film photography. I gave her, uh, I think it was an F75 or an F65 um, after a photo walk and then uh, Jeffrey in, in the comments here, uh, he just came by yesterday and uh, bought a super graphic four by five off of me and um, he was the first person that I've taken a portrait of with the, the 195. So I gave him a portrait yesterday with the 195. And like it's, film, film is a beautiful, like taking a picture of someone on like 35 mil or 120 or four by five is really cool. But then instant is also just extremely neat of just being able to hand someone this tangible thing like right away where it's just like, here, this is, this is for you. And it's, really magical seeing how like people light up when when they get to hold a thing because like we're in this digital world now where it's like you know you have all of these pictures and in, inside of like this thing and you know I have like 30,000 photos on here but none of them exist other than inside of this little box yeah you know it's to me it's interesting I I've never been an instant shooter. I don't shoot instant cameras. Uh, you know, once in a while, the, the Fujex uh, uh, Instax, yeah. Uh, yeah. My granddaughter has one. You know, we, we have them around. But it's instant, instant and film are, bear me out here, they're the same, but they're opposite. They're the same because there's there's an anticipation to seeing that image, and instant, of course, comes instantly. But it isn't really instantly. It takes it takes a second, right? Yeah. You remember you shake it, blow it, right? <laughs> the old <laughs> you'd shake them to try to get them to appear faster, which never really worked. Uh, but it's that part of it is the instant gratification and the having a tangible physical image. Uh, and film is kind of the same, although you have to wait. You have that leg, like I said, yeah. before you're able to see that finished product. So it's, uh, there is a very common attraction, I think, to both. And I think I think that's why, in part, in part, the popularity of film and film photography is is increasing among young people, because I believe they started out with instant. Yeah. And they enjoyed instant. You know, all the little kids had their little instant cameras, right? And then the the pleasures of using instant versus film there there there's a there's something common to it yeah well the the history of like you know instant and film is kind of fascinating too like i did a workshop on instant film last year for um a photography collective out here so before i did it i like yeah did all this research into the history of polaroid and like all this stuff and it was really interesting to see that there, there was a, a time period there where Polaroid was just beating the shit at a Kodak in the consumer front. Like, you know, 
prosumer like you know that was always kodak's bread and butter like you know there wasn't people like doing pro photo shoots with polaroids but that family like to have that instant gratification to be able to take a photo and not have to wait to send it to kodak and like get kodak to mail it back like they could have it right away um that gave polaroid such a huge lead until that boom you were talking about when you know people were coming back wanted to take pictures of things and then kodak started doing the one hour photo stuff making you know chemical and developing easier and then there's like like boom of all the labs everywhere that really was like a, a huge blow to polaroid because you know people could wait an hour like the, the difference between waiting an hour and waiting like weeks to mail something to kodak and have it come back was like negligible versus like how much polaroid cost to buy um so it, it was kind of interesting learning that history where it's like, you know, Polaroid rose to this huge prominence and then Kodak kind of like cut them at the knees by like, you know, developing one hour photo labs and that sort of like took some of the wind out of their sails. No, it's, uh, that's kind of, you know, I know you're Canadian, but that's kind of the mate the American way, right? We keep grinding down things to make it faster, cheaper, and then ultimately worse. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a race to the bottom. Be... <laughs> no, it is. It is. No, I'm sorry. Like that—that's kind of the best thing I've heard. There, it's like faster, cheaper, and then ultimately. <laughs> I mean, it, it is, and and it's uh, you know, it just we 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 tend to do that with everything until a certain segment of people get smart and realize, you know, this is not a good path. Yeah, uh, this is this is not sustainable. You know, th this doesn't make sense. So, uh, you know, people come back in their own way and, and do things. But uh, again, that you know, I, I enjoyed being able to, to be with you uh, this evening. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It was, it was great to talk about cameras and film. I this is. This is probably my favorite camera I keep in my little ice chest here, very nondiscreet. What's that? What's this that is one? my, uh, it's a bag and a bag. Okay. And then I've got some lenses down in, in the bottom of it, but this is my X-Pan. Oh, uh, wow. Which is probably, this has been my favorite camera for 20 years. Those are beautiful. I bought I bought uh, this X Pan to go on a trip to South America back in two thousand one. Okay. And uh, I had just left Kodak. I worked for many years for Kodak Processing Labs uh, before rejoining and you know getting the darkroom going and. Uh, I, I realized after I bought it, this camera is a tank. It's really heavy. And I, I ended up, I didn't take it. Okay. So I, I, I spent this fortune on this brand new camera. And then the last minute, I didn't take it. I took my EOS 1B instead. <laughs> you shot Kodachrome on that trip. Oh, wow. Uh, but <clears throat> I, I, even though I never, I didn't take it on that trip. It is by far my favorite camera, and I, uh, any trip I go on now, I, I pretty much take that uh, camera. I, I really enjoy it. I really love the format, uh, and just the, 
uh, I don't know, the solid build of it. It's built like a Leica kind of, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, what's your favorite film, Cameron Merlin? Oh, uh, it's it's kind of a tough one. So, um, for thirty-five mil, my favorite one is is been like the F five, um, and it it was like it was a camera that I always felt was out of my reach. Like it was kind of funny when I got into film. Like I've only been shooting film for about three and a half years now, um, and when I got into it. Uh, the first film camera I ended up buying was an F80 because I'd always wanted an F80 because my first uh, digital SLR was a Nikon D70. And at that time, when the D70 was new, the F80 was like the closest film equivalent to that camera. So I was like, oh, I always wanted that, but I, I could never get it. So I found one super cheap on uh, Craigslist out here, picked it up and I was like, I'm happy, I'm set. And then an F100 came up for pretty cheap. And I was like, oh man, like, I never thought I would ever get an F100. And so then I got an F100. Um, and then shortly after I got the F100, this F5 came up for like super cheap. And I was like, this one was like unobtainium to me. Like, you know, I never thought in my wildest dreams I would like, you know, truck around with, uh, with you got five. You got serious gas issue there, Merlin. <laughs> yeah, I do. But so then there's like a flip side to it where I, I buy all these cameras, but then I end up giving away most of them to people. Um, cause I like getting people excited. Like I like sharing the excitement that I have. So, um, I, I can't even remember how many F80s and F75s and F65s I've bought to just literally give to people to get them going on film. Um, yeah, the F5 is definitely like probably my favorite 35 mil. Um, my favorite camera out of all of them, it's a toss up between, the SLR 680 and my Wista 4x5. Um, I, I really love shooting with the, the 4x5. Um, it's um, it's like a ritual almost, like shooting with that camera. Like so, oh, it's, right. uh -huh. I, I kind of enjoy um, the ritual that comes with that camera, and um, but uh, you know, out of all of them, though, I think. The one camera that I could never, ever, ever, ever get rid of is um, a Canon AE-1. Um, and it, it was an AE-1 that belonged to my mother. And my, my dad gave it to her as an anniversary gift two years before I was born. And all of uh, my childhood photos were taken with that camera. And um, as far as I know, it's never been CLA'd. <laughs> And it still shoots to this day, no problem. Well, why would you? Why would you fix something that isn't broken, right? Absolutely. Like the the thing <laughs> is, it's I every once in a while I'll I'll take it out and throw a roll of film through it, and um, as much as I love all these other cameras I've picked up, um, that one I always feel excited using it. Like it's just. It, it makes me feel like the first time I picked up a camera and like ran my first roll every time I pick up that AE-1, like it's just, it's that feeling again. And I even bought like a nicer lens for it. Like I found a, a 51.4 SSC to, to put on it, which is beautiful glass, but I ended up stopping using it and just went back to the 51.8 that like my mom used on it for ages. And just, you know, it, 
it felt better that way. Like even though the, the other glass was nicer, like, you know, it just felt better using it with, with the original thing. And it is kind of interesting, like the tangible connection you get with like film cameras and like the medium and all of that. Like, um, I don't know if people would ever feel that way about like other devices or things like that. Like I'm never going to feel that way about my iPhone or, or my digital camera or like anything. No, I, I, I find that hard to believe about something that is electronic or digital or machine type of, well, I don't know. People fall in love with their cars, right? Those are machines. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I find that hard to imagine becoming connected to, uh, a, you know, something like a, a, an old cell phone. Yeah, the closest thing maybe to the cameras would be old typewriters. Uh, and some people collect them, I think. But the problem with typewriters is they're big and heavy, right? They are. Tom Hanks. <laughs> uh, typewriter. They take up a lot of space. And uh, it's funny. We still have customers. We get typewritten letters. It's, uh, it's hilarious. Really? Yeah. Huh. It type typewriters and watches, I think. So it's like you, you mentioned watches uh, earlier, and like I've noticed that there there is an interesting um, sort of crossover where a lot of people that are really into analog photography also are really into watches and, and things like that. And like part of yeah, I think it's the the elegance of certain mechanical devices that are uh, well elegant, for lack of a better term, you know, and watches. You know, they pack a lot into them. Uh, it's a lot of hype to me around a watch. You know, why is this watch worth $20,000 or whatever it happens to be yeah. when my little uh, Casio, which I bought for 20 bucks, works just great, right? They well, both keep perfect time. I, I think uh, like, when you get into those ones, they don't even call them watches anywhere. They call them complications because yes. Of Time pieces, complications, right? <laughs> How many complications does it have? Yeah. So, it, you know, it's just, oh, it's just fall, going down that rabbit hole of, uh, you know, of whatever. Uh, and some people do that with cameras in terms of collecting, but uh, I think our community is much more of shooting, using, moving on, trying different things, experimental. Uh, it covers the gambit. Absolutely. And Hayden made a comment here. Analog machines have soul. And uh, You're right. I like love that. That's a perfect saying, Hayden. I mean, it's, uh, they do. They, to me, digital is soulless. Uh, yeah. And the devices, you know, the capture, the, the machines are kind of soulless. I've never had a digital camera that I wanted to keep forever. That that's fair, and and I feel the same way about that. Like I don't I don't knock digital. Like you know everything's a tool and everything has a place and a usefulness uh, around it. Um, but you know I don't want to keep my digital camera forever. Um, but that AE one, like that that's a camera that you know I'll never part with. And it's not so much the machine, but it's it's what that machine is represented. Like that sort of like the heritage inside of it. And I think that was like. You know, when you look at old watches and things like that, like pocket watches used to just be handed down from like, you know, generation to generation, like, you know, because they were complications that were built so robustly that they could 
survive centuries. And um, it'd be kind of amazing to see my AE1 survive centuries. And, like, it'd be kind of like neat to know that like maybe um, like I don't have any kids, but like maybe my brother's kids, their kids could like, you know, pass the camera down there. Like I'm trying to I'm trying to get my niece excited about photography. Like she's little, she's only six, but I gave her a digital camera uh, for her birthday and she got super excited about that. And I'm waiting till she's a little bit older before I get her on the film bug. Um, but like, it's, it's already in my mind. It's like, okay, she's taking the bait with the digital camera. I'm going to get her on <laughs> film eventually. But with this whole thing is like interesting. So like my F5, I wrote this thing on it uh, a couple of years ago where it's backwards, but I put like this machine stops time. And um, it's like, for, for me, I don't consider myself a photographer as much as I consider myself an archivist. Um, I like taking pictures so that I can remember things and I can leave something behind. And um, yeah, I, I would rather do that on a film thing because it, 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 does, it has soul to it. Like it's, even when you think about film, like, you know, a big part of it is like the gelatin base that holds the emulsion onto the, the plastic and, you know, there, there's or, organic material inside of the film. Like it's almost like a, a living organism of its own uh, kind. And so it's like, what better medium to imprint important things that like, you know, matter to you than something that that's like, you know, a, a living organism of itself in, in, a, in a way. Um, it just, yeah, they, they have more feeling to them. And like, sure, you can use filters and things like that to like sort of add grain and like add these things to it. But like, you can usually feel that it's off. And, um, you know, doing darkroom prints is that's a magical experience too. Like, I, I saw a dude that he found a way to do darkroom prints of digital images by printing them onto this like special negative sheet that you can order from Japan on like a high quality printer and you can actually make uh, negatives that you can then print like normally um, which I was like that seems like a lot of effort when you could just throw some well film that's, that comes down to sometimes Merlin just because you can doesn't mean you should yeah absolutely <laughs> so yeah i mean there are a lot of things you can do and if you have the time and the inclination and the desire and everything you know that's great as long as you're you know not out killing people or doing something you know <laughs> why not <laughs> yeah exactly uh, that's that's the beauty of of uh of photography and, and film photography there really aren't any bounds uh, I mean, a lot of my own film, what I shoot, like the 13 rolls I got piled up on my desk, uh, it's not, it's probably likely I'll be the only one that ever sees those images. Uh, I shoot mostly for myself, for my own pleasure and enjoyment, the way I would read a book and not necessarily talk to you or anybody else about the book, but just personally, you know, hoard that within my own. <laughs> well, I think like that, that's a great thing you bring up there. I, I think that's a very important thing to have 
is just doing something for you. Like you look at how a lot of um, our society is structured right now, where there's a sort of like instant gratification of like putting something on social media and getting all of these like immediate likes about it. And like, that's what drives a lot of people to like, you know, use these mediums and like, you know, create things. Um, but that can be unhealthy sometimes. Like it's, I think it's very important to just do things for you. Like, um, I, I have a similar thing where there's like, there's rolls of film, there's images that I've created that um, I'll be the only person that sees, or there'll be like very few people that that will see it um, because it, it's not for everyone. Like that, it's just for me. Like that's what most of my photos are is, is stuff for me. Like. I carry my camera with me everywhere I go. Like, you know, when we were allowed to go into offices and stuff like that, it would come with me to work. Like I work for Dell Technologies. Um, and it's, it was always kind of funny. Like people would be like, okay, there's this like fancy IT guy that's here to talk to us, to us about future technologies. Why does he have a film camera with him? <laughs> it's funny. Of... I know a lot of people in technology that are exactly the same, that uh, love film photography yeah. and film cameras uh and it makes sense i mean you know if you're into technology how things work and everything just the the pure mechanical beauty of of a camera uh they're pretty remarkable they're pretty amazing they're, they're absolutely amazing and I, I think it's also just like being able to connect to something that's tangible um so i i had like um one of the first bosses I had when I got into startups a, a, quite a few years back told me the importance of finding a tangible outlet. And I didn't understand it when he told it to me. Like it, it took me like almost six years to sort of let his message percolate in my mind where I was like, oh shit, that's what Rex meant by this. Like it was several years after he had like given me this message, but he was like, <clears throat> the basic gist was, Find something tangible to do that's not work before you make a Jackson Pollock out of the back of your head in your apartment one night. He's like, yo, we, we live in this society that's become so intangible. Like we spend all this time in front of computer screens, just banging away on, on like imaginary things. Um, we don't, we don't touch and work with our hands as much as we used to. And that's dangerous for humans because we're, we're social creatures. We're, we're, um, you know, organisms that like need to be able to like invest time into something and then pick it up and be like, I made this, like I, I spent the last 12 hours, like, you know, making this thing and now I can pick it up and feel good about it. And he's like, if you can't find that, then you're going to go crazy and you're going to break. And so find a tangible outlet. And, um, that's, you know, I, I ended up realizing that, you know, for me, film photography is that tangible outlet. Like it's a thing I could feel and touch and I can pour myself into that's not work. And I can create things that make myself feel good and make others feel good. And um, yeah, it's, I, I think that's why a lot of tech people get pulled into it because it's like not only tech people, just but people in general and in the world we're living in right now I think feel this like lacking of, of tangible things. And um, I think that's what draws people into this, just even like subconsciously, like we don't realize that th this is why we're being drawn into it. But like, 
having something where you can work with your hands and create something that isn't in front of a computer screen. Yeah, and I, just the, uh, I don't know, just the, the beauty of, you know, the process like we've talked about, of, you know, thinking about films and, yeah, I think I'm going to try this film and this camera and, uh, you know, making, making certain little, not, it may not even be conscious decisions along the way of, you know, what you're going to do. Uh, to go out and, and and shoot photos. Don't stop that thought. Um, so you just reminded me of a thing, trying different films, trying different cameras and stuff. So I'm going to show you the, the complete opposite of your X-Pen. This is one of my favorite cameras right now. It's the Lomography Simple Use disposable camera, effectively. But you can reload it. You can right. No, you can reload that. You can one, you can yeah. throw film in it, and I've I've put probably about twelve rolls of film through this since I got it, and it never ceases to amaze me. I love the images that come out of it. it it's janky. Like I shot some Cinestill eight hundred in it, and I'm like, I'm pretty certain the film that's in this camera right now is worth more than the camera is. <laughs> 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 and it was just kind of wild to think about that um but it's it's cool to experiment and it's it's cool to try different things and um it's not always about having like the most expensive gear and, and things no like cameras are very uh, can be very simple basic devices it's uh the magic's in the film yeah but as cameras <clears throat> have evolved and just uh you know with the one four thousandth shutter speed mechanical shutter that's that's amazing that's, that's the fun. That's why there aren't any new cameras out today. Shutters. Really? They can't make shutters. So really? That's, that's that's the biggest that's the biggest roadblock to somebody producing a new thirty-five millimeter camera is the shutter. You're kidding. So with all no. of the advances we've had in technology, we can't make something that we were making forty years ago. Right. Wow. That is the that is the big stumbling block. Well, I guess like that's also why pack film doesn't exist anymore because no one knows how to make the machines that folded the film to put it in the pack. Is like Fuji destroyed the last ones that existed. And yeah, probably. Although, who's the German guy that has the impossible now? Uh, he uh, he tried to bring it back. Yeah, Florian. Um, he talked to Fuji about buying all of the IP and whatever equipment they had left, but Fuji was, no, no and they, um, they said they destroyed the equipment and it was sad, but he has kind of brought it back with the one instant stuff. So, um, he said, let's try this, attacking this problem from a different perspective. So we can't find the folding machines to put 10 images in a box, but what if we just make a box that has one image in it? And so that's where the one instant stuff has come from. And, you know, I have no problem paying a little bit more to still experience like, you know, this, this camera that, that I have here to be able to shoot something that should have like been extinct long ago. Like, you know, it's, it's definitely a nice privilege to be able to do that. Um, 
but it's also cool there's so many different stocks out there like you were showing the, the fpp stuff out there and um it would probably behoove me if i don't ask you this question because someone will probably bug me about it later but um what are some of your favorite film stocks oh my favorite uh you know i do i do like ekkar uh, a lot of people don't but i live in the the west and i travel to the southwest a lot and with my x10 uh, uh landscape photography uh that's a that's a very fun film i shoot uh a lot of slide film uh provia velvia and nectochrome 100 uh i don't shoot a ton of black and white Okay. Uh, Portrait 400, of course. Uh, I like the Lomo films. The uh, I like the uh, the purple. I like the Metropolis. Uh, I, I like all of basically all of the Lomo films. Lomo 800 is a wonderful film. Um, yeah, I, I've not tried it yet, but I've heard great things. Yeah, it's 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 hit and miss being able to uh, to get it. Lomo films are great value. Yeah, they are. I, I've been uh, shooting a lot of Lomo 400, and um, I honestly can't see a huge difference when I'm comparing photos I've taken on Lomo 400 and Portra 400. Like, it's it's been hard to tell on some of them. Well, maybe if you... You know, you overexpose and do those woozy wedding type shots, then you'll notice. So. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> um, yeah, but for how I shoot, I have not really noticed a huge difference other than I save a ton of money. Like, it's almost five bucks a roll. Kodak Which, Gold 200 is a great film. Kodak Gold 200 is a great one. I, I do love the Metropolis, though. Like, you know, mm -hmm. that you, you mentioned that one, and that's a cool film to, to play with. Um, the Rolly Crossbird had a similar look to the Metropolis too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's like such a cool thing with film though, is like, you know, having access to all these different stocks that have all these different looks and stuff. No, it is. It, uh, yeah, it adds that, that dimension to it. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you, you know, spending some time with me tonight and, you know, sharing some of your stories and, and no enjoyable to uh to be able to hook up i've enjoyed being able to chat with you Merlin. definitely well it's uh we went we went a little over time here so i'll uh i'll let you get on with your evening but uh, you know thanks again phil and um hopefully we get to see um each other in a not so distant future at, uh, at a padilla yeah keep posted uh we'll uh Hopefully, you know, we'll do something in the fall. It's it's probably pushing things to try to think of doing something, you know, before then. It's gonna be it's gonna be chaotic. And I'm sure it's gonna be busy too. Uh people people are gonna wanna get out and about. So uh it's it's uh looking forward to getting getting through all this stuff. It'll be nice. And then next week, I've got Stephanie joining me, uh, who is uh, someone awesome that I met at um, the, the film Paydaya there. Uh, so looking forward. Yeah, that's a neighbor of mine from San Diego, right? Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. Uh-huh. So 
Yeah, thanks again. I appreciate the support, everyone, uh, for, for coming out here. And, um, you know, I'm going to keep these going as long as, uh, you know, people want to come chat with me and uh, you guys want to listen. So um, have a great night and stay safe out there. And, uh, you know, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks, Merlin. Take care, Phil. Take care. Bye. All right, bye.